If art becomes work, how do you maintain that spark of delight, the benefits of creativity? And how do you use art for self-care if you're an artist? I was painting in the hospital bed and um, making works about having a stroke. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's so surreal. It's such a weird event, um, especially when you're 38 years old. That's Josh Heath, photographer, painter, musician. And I'm Jennifer Macy. This is In The Making, a podcast by Makeshift that explores creativity as a prescription for challenging times. Josh Heath studied photography at art school in Sydney and began working under big-name photographers like Max Doyle, doing fashion shoots and celebrity portraits. This evolved into filming and directing commercials. But for Josh, the camera, which had once been an outlet of creative expression, became a tool of the trade and felt more like work than art. Until he read the book The Artist's Way and rediscovered his creativity through music and making small paintings with Posca pens on A5 coloured sheets of card. And then, at the age of 38, Josh had a stroke and everything he knew about life, work and creativity turned upside down. This conversation with Josh was recorded at the end of 2020, and just a quick heads up, it may be confronting for some people, so take care while listening. Hi, I'm Joshua Heath. I'm an artist who lives in Austinmere. Uh, I make various uh, different kinds of work. Sometimes I'm a cinematographer, sometimes I'm directing, sometimes I'm just doing too many silly things. Sometimes I'm painting and I also play in a few bands and um, love writing songs. Wow, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> no wonder I had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> Poskas are just paint pens um, and generally my process is this half a one which I didn't like but I normally just um, use a colour ground and then what I, like a, a, a colour piece of card, um, so you, the base of what you're drawing on is coloured. Um, and then I normally start with pencil and um, draw whatever it is I'm drawing, a sketch. That one was um, an image of Bruce Lee with blood all over his body. Uh, and normally the works, the things which I uh, am attracted to are like um, images that work as stories or metaphor. And then I work from there and sometimes it's just, sometimes it's something from my childhood, sometimes it's something from um, mass media or from pop culture. Um, Sometimes it's like something emotional that I'm going through and then I'll just draw first with pencil and then I'll start using the Poscas, which is basically just paint. There's paint inside of the marker. Um, and you have like a limited palette, and as you can see, I've I've got every Posca there is, pretty much. <laughs> but it's still a limited palette. You can't really get in between colours. It's not like you can mix your paints. You're having to make choices about the colours you're going to use, and then you kind of have to um, work out how you can use those colours to to make the image. This is basically a big box of textures. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much just a big box of textures using paint. But, yeah, I guess it dries differently and it has this kind of flat, um, 
it's almost like graphic or advertising style. It's like um, it's kind of like chalky almost, and it dries really flat. And I'll show you some ones that are finished. Yeah. So this is this is um, um, Tiger King. Do you know Tiger King, the documentary? Yeah. yeah so this is um, the main character, and um, he's beautiful tiger, <laughs> and he's hugging it. Um, yeah. So that's that's that, and then. Um, here's some other ones and I kind of I use like cheap frames but I to make it sit with the kind of bright poppiness of the image I spray paint the frames a bright colour I don't know I just think it looks nice so it looks it makes it really look finished this painting is is of um, when um, I was a kid we used to do a thing where you'd write on your Casio and it would Casio be... Casio calculator. Casio calculator. You'd write 55378008 and then you'd turn it upside down it would say boobless. <laughs> That's what this painting is. It's um, a Casio calculator and um, and it says boobless on the screen. Um, and then I've kind of like... it's on, And it was all painted on a yellow ground, so the, the base cardboard was yellow and then I framed around the outside of that with the, with the same coloured yellow and then there's also a yellow frame which is um, and it's kind of I don't always do them the same colour sometimes I do contrasting colours in the frame as you can see it's like they're all, they're all kind of different this is this is um, a helicopter hovering over Bondi Beach and this is a COVID related piece and I was talking about I guess like there was talk of um, the military being deployed and keeping people off the beach, and I guess then that image came to mind in in my and then it was called holiday destination, yeah. And they're all kind of like that. They're just all just little ideas, and they're so joyous too. Like they're so full of humour. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's it's it's kind of I, I had someone tried to get me to describe <laughs> describe my work recently, and I failed miserably. But they definitely have a touch of. Of, I guess it's kind of sarcasm or wit or something about them. Mm. Um, they're a bit silly and they're a little bit um, childlike, and uh, even in their thought process, they're a little bit childlike <laughs> as well. But sometimes they're a bit gross too. There's like blood and guts and yeah. There is a, there was especially a time when I was going through. Um, uh, there was a time where I was I was definitely. Um, going through some stuff uh, and there is some death and I start talking about death and and kind of discussing topics and themes of, of death and mortality and guilt and, and shame um, at that point in time. What's your favourite colour? Bright red and also blue. They're the, probably the three colours that, that go through quite quick. Oh, and this pink as well. Tends to love a bit of pink. So as a kid, um, I guess my parents were really young and they were living in Wagga Wagga and they decided when I was five to move from Wagga to Lismore and mum studied art and dad studied music. And uh, so as a kid, I had all their art school friends kind of coming over and hanging out. There was lots of artists. And then so how did you get into photography? Um, so when I was at art school, I um, was actually majoring in printmaking. And after f one term in my second year, 
of doing that, I had this fit of um, self-doubt that I couldn't draw. Um, and so I started, I decided to major in photography instead. And photography kind of flowed quite naturally for me, I guess. And at first I had no technical expertise and I was just fully just shooting on intuition and um, was a very natural thing. I, I'm not sure why, but I started winning awards and, and um, um, at first it was art and then people started asking me to do stuff for work. Max Doyle asked me to do a film for him in 2009 and then and I just sh shot it on a DSLR. It was like really raw, the beginning of that movement, I guess. And, and then after that, I never really had to search for work again. It just kept coming, you know. So I just kept getting offered more and more motion work, video work, and then the camera became a symbol of work for me. So that, that was the transition. I was thinking of photography as art, and then film became a way to make money, but also it was a camera. So then it just came for me to symbolise work. If you just use a camera every, all day, every day, the last thing I want to do when I get home is then pick up a camera and express myself with it artistically. And I think, you know, since art school, getting that balance right has been difficult because art school is so, so great, but it's also, but that's all you do for four years. I did my honours as well. So I did four years straight of just making the work which I wanted to make. And it's hard to adjust once... You've, then, you've, then you've got to work out how to make money and then you've got to work out how to survive. And that process for me became about a camera and then it became about trying to find another outlet that was not that. Mm. And at that point in time, I started um, writing songs. <laughs> I, I did The Artist's Way and I started writing songs and trying to um, work out how to, to write songs. And I, was, I started a band called Dream Good, which was with... Um, a kid that I babysat, who was a composer named Mitch, Mitchell Sloan, and my father, who's a, um, uh, who plays the electric guitar and is, is a musician. You visited me in my dreams last night. I welcomed you. We had tea in the old cedar kitchen and huddled over the rain. Tell me, how old were you when you had a stroke? Um, I was 38 when I had a stroke. It was actually at the end of the year of painting, so it was in... October, November 2019, I was meeting with a friend of mine to talk about doing some projects and I was in a cafe and um, I had a stroke. Apparently, the day before that I was walking up Sublime, which is my kind of go-to lazy exercise. Lazy. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I used to run and do all this athletic stuff, but now it's just either surfing or walking up Sublime. Um, but I was walking up Sublime, yeah, which is basically a mountain in Austinmere, right near my place, and um, I had this headache. And, it's, and I've, apparently that could have been the clot in lodging into my brain. Um, but I, 
walked down the mountain and then I went, drove home, slept. But in the morning I had fresh tattoos and I bumped into the walls and there was a few weird things like that, which I only found out afterwards the part of my brain that was affected was spatial recognition. So the clock was probably in my brain at that point in time because I distinctly remember running into things. I drove then to Marrickville and fortunate for me, I had the stroke, a three-minute drive from the RPA, which is the leading stroke hospital. So, so what happened at the, did you pass out or did you feel like one side of your body went numb? Like what happened at the cafe? And did your friend know straight away what was going on? Yeah, it was actually two friends. They'd been on a lease. Um, poor things. But um, we, we were kind of playing characters, so it was kind of like, because that was, we were kind of talking about projects and we were kind of mucking around and playing characters. So she thought I was playing a character really well, basically, because <laughs> one side of my face had drooped and I went to stand up to leave to, to pay um, and leave. The, I think it was the left side of my body didn't work, so I couldn't stand. I just fell onto the floor. And um, I, I think your brain just adjusts and thinks and just, like, thinks nothing of it. You know, it's just saying, oh, that's weird, I fell over, you know. But I had this one moment where I drooled and the drool landed on the floor and I was super embarrassed that, that I drooled. So I kind of wiped it up with my hand and... Then there was somebody else in the cafe who was watching and she had just done her first aid and I think she was going to become a nurse or something like that. Um, and she came over to us and she asked me to put two hands above my head mm -hmm. and I put up my right hand and not my left hand. Then she said, why did you only put up your right hand? And, and um, I said, because I felt like it. And then... She said, well, why don't you try and put up both hands now? And then I did it again, just my right hand. So, so I think even your brain at that point in time is just still not, you know, it's still just trying to function, you know. It's like a computer that's a bit broken or something. Yeah, but she knew what was going on and she said to Babby, I think he's had a stroke, like like that, you know, whispered it. And um, and they were like, we're going to call the ambulance. And I was like, oh, no, don't worry. Like I, I, was, I was just like, I'm just adjusting and then... I got up and the ambulance came and then I, and they were like, do you want us to get the stretcher? And I was like, no, 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 I'll just walk out. And I did. I just stood up and I walked out. Um, so, and then I went to hospital and they gave me blood thinners and I couldn't get out of my bed for 24 hours or 48 hours or something like that. And yeah, it was pretty weird. <laughs> but then the day after, I, the, you know, the day after that, I was down on the piano, you know, playing the piano at the hospital. Um, so... I had I fully got all my coordination back and my face it still has a slight kind of droop but not much and most people don't notice. Um, yeah, I, I guess a lot of the people in the ward were learning how to walk again and learning how to eat again and learning how to speak and um, I was just normal. So it was kind of a surreal event, I guess, for me and... Even after having a stroke, I kind of just went back to my normal life and it was weird. You couldn't drive for three months or something like that legally and be covered by insurance. So I didn't drive. So I couldn't really work because my work means you've got to pick up equipment if you're doing cinematography. And even if you're doing directing, you've got to 
do a bunch of stuff in a car, you know, do reckeys and whatever. So I couldn't really work. So I painted and I painted more and more during that time. Were you painting in hospital? Did somebody bring your poskas into hospital for you? Uh, yeah, so when I was in hospital, my mum and dad came and stayed with me, which is, you know, I, I've been really lucky to have beautiful parents who were there for me and have been there for me in those moments that are horrible. <laughs> but yeah, they brought with them um, all my poskas and I was painting in the hospital bed and um, making works about having a stroke. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's so surreal. It's such a weird event, um, especially when you're 38 years old. Uh, like, afterwards, I just kept making paintings. And then it got to a certain point where I, I actually, I went in for a heart operation in March. What? And, yeah, so I had, there's two theories on, of my stroke. One theory is that I had 10 tattoos in two weeks. Those tattoos were over veins, often over veiny areas, and it released clots into my bloodstream. One of those clots went through a hole in my heart, which I didn't know I had at that point in time. And a lot of strokes are caused by um, people having a hole in their heart. So basically, they needed to close the hole in my heart. So in March, I had a heart operation. Yeah, so on the day that I had a heart operation was the day that COVID hit. And I was actually looking forward to going back to work and being normal at that point in time. But, um, yeah, so I had a heart operation and had the rest for a few weeks, but then COVID hit and and then that's when I started to, this year, I started to have a bit of depression, you know, um, because it had just been such a full-on year, I guess. It was like I was having a double COVID. Um, yeah. I mean, you said it was a weird experience, but was it... Was it scary? Yeah, because I went back to normal so quickly. Like, I guess, you know, I was fine the day... Those 24 hours sitting in the hospital bed felt like the most unnatural two days of my life because I couldn't move because legally if I fell over, I would bleed to death because I had I was on, I was pumped up by blood thinners. But you st- even in that moment, I'm still like, did I really have a stroke, you know? But then they show you pictures on the screen you know, and it's your brain. There's like exp- like an explosion of, of bright where the stroke's been, you know, and what part of your brain was affected. And it is scary. Yeah, it was, it was really scary. Your relationship with your body changes in that moment and you start to trust it less. And I was very young to have a stroke and... um the event was surreal, but it's only post-COVID since I tried to go back to work that I've realised that I have PTSD from that experience and that it um, it's something that has affected me quite massively. Yeah, hospitals definitely aren't fun. Hospitals are a place where... I mean, they are kind of like those halogen lights and that kind of like surreal voids where everything's perfectly clean and... And the smells. Oh, yeah, the smells. 
oh my god yeah there was some smells and so what was the artwork like that you made in there the artwork that I made in hospital were kind of like commentary on my experience of having a stroke and being in hospital there was one where um when they when they did this test I forget what it's called now but basically they put ink through your brain and they'd be able to say okay you're going to feel this you're going to feel heat in the back of your right eyelid and you may get a light show which um shoots across your eyelid which happened it was kind of like the it was like fireworks and going across from one side of your eyelid to the other and then they'd say now this will happen you left you know so i'd kind of like write the story of them saying that that sat with this artwork of what i'd kind of seen and the one with the light show what did that look like yeah so the light show one was kind of like um on on black so it's kind of like when you close your eyes, it has that similar kind of look. But then there's these kind of like light squiggles going, bright coloured squiggles going across the painting from left to right. And it's kind of in the shape of your eye. And then one of them was like the doctors, it said no cheese. And there's just like this cross, this sign like, don't walk here or whatever so there's just like this sign through cheese and it's and then the dialogue of the doctor saying you know you, you have to lower your cholesterol um so you, you know you probably have to choose readjust your diet and what you eat um yeah they were kind of more conceptual because the process was weird and i guess conceptual you know in that instance is it again like a, a brain dump you're just using it to sort of process or are you trying to make something look good or doesn't it matter in that instance I guess in that instance you're still you're still trying to make it look good you're sure trying to make you actually a little bit it's more like document document because I guess that's my background is documentary photography so but for me it was more like a documenting that moment documenting that um, what I'd seen documenting um, the process of of the dialogue which had the the nurses or doctors had spoken to me so it was kind of like it was it was more like a documentation process and yeah and my, a lot of people just like a lot of my friends still don't know that I've had a stroke like even though they were in my artwork people just thought it was a concept or something that I was just making you know I, I recently saw a friend of mine I hadn't seen in a while and I said I had a stroke and she was like oh I thought that was I thought you were just making artworks about that. Like, I didn't know that had happened to you. <laughs> the artwork is still just an artwork that exists on its own, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that's me, but it was me in this case. Because a lot of the work I, I do is... is there's, there is social commentary involved and all that kind of stuff, so it's not always about me. Sometimes it's about the media or whatever. Mm. Yeah. So how has your practice helped you through this time? Um, after the stroke, I started to make weird paintings and I became obsessed about death. And uh, I started to make works around death. And I remember at one point in time, my mum actually texted me and she, <laughs> she said something along the lines of, you know, I'm hoping that you move on from making artworks purely about death. Um, I did one that was like the City of Bones. Yeah, and I think I even wrote, uh, here you go, Mum, here's, here's, 
Here's an artwork that isn't about death. This artwork is about a city. <laughs> a city of bones. Your poor mum. Yeah, my poor mum. But they're not all about death. No, no. I just went through a phase there where I think I think it was at least two weeks. That's not long. No, it wasn't that long. And after mum said that, I... I did try and stop. I started to make works about angels for a little while. It was kind of just, it was just like a different kind of, of, of death. But no, they're not all about death at all. There was just a moment. There was like a, I think it was a month of strange, unconscious fascination and just looking at the topic of death. I think I even, I, I think I, I've got this suite of songs that are about death as well, which I haven't really showed many people. I did do a show with Dream Good and we did play a few um, and people laughed because it was like, it was funny. They're funny. They're kind of, yeah, you know, hello, death. Thank you for holding my hand. It's kind of like, like, kind of like dark but humorous somehow. Yeah. Well, I mean, they sit alongside each other, don't they? Humour and... Yeah, if you can't... Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I still... It's... I think humour is a good way to 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 deal with serious situations. It, you know, as long as it's done in a way that's not too scathing and, you know, people, will, people feel safe. But, yeah, I think humour is a good way to deal with shitty situations. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of artists who I love have kind of like, you know, have made funny work about serious topics. The first time I did The Artist's Way was after art school, which is The Artist's Way is a book. And, and it's kind of like art therapy in a book, pretty much, is what I'd say. And, and you do, you wake up and you do your daily practice of where, where you write for an hour. And then the first time I did that, I started playing music and started exploring that as a, as a different medium to photography and filmmaking. And I guess the artist way just opens up your creativity and it makes you accept the world. It forces you to be disciplined, which I, the artist way was actually good for me. It actually allowed me to get into this rhythm of creativity. And then I started writing music and started, I, did, I started doing singing lessons and I started learning the guitar and doing guitar lessons and really got into music. So you wake up in the morning and what's the first thing you do? You wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is vomit out all your thoughts through writing through the morning pages and those thoughts um, are often they're just whatever they are they just it's just the junk of the brain it's like a, a download a dump and uh, <laughs> wait that's um, <laughs> it's like a brain dump <laughs> um, and then you move on that's basically it and then um, what you do with your day is up to you it's like it's every week you read a chapter as well so it's I think it's 12 weeks, 12 week program. So it goes over three months. It's about self love and, and giving to yourself, giving yourself what you need. And the second time I did the artist way, I actually had just done like four or five treatments. I'd started directing with a friend of mine and, um, 
we'd done four or five treatments um, for these different ads. All the jobs were almost happening and all at once, none of them got, none of them happened. All this work we'd done didn't get taken on and I was just like, fuck, I had the shits, you know? So it was at that point in time where I was just like, I'm just going to paint. And that was the beginning of 2019, yeah, in like February or March or something like that. At the same time as I did that, I started to do the artist way again to, to help me as the tool to help me move into that. Yeah, in that one year, I decided to try and do a painting a day. And I'd often be, I'd still be doing like smaller jobs and I'd still try and do two paintings a day before I was doing that ad, you know. So I, I, I was doing, I was still trying to make sure that I did one painting a day that I'd be able to put up on Instagram. And how did you come to this style of painting? The first time I did The Artist's Way, I also started to paint with posters because I was actually living in Canada. I didn't have a studio. I didn't have another space. So I thought, oh, I, I, was, I started to make, write music and write songs. And then I also bought Poskas because they were not messy. They were easy. You could, they were portable. You could take them anywhere you wanted. And I started using Poskas because they were, that was, it was a simple way of painting, I guess. And you could still, they're still painterly. I started painting on coloured card because that's what they, all they had at that art. Well, I didn't like any of the papers, any of the black and the white or dark papers they had at that art store. So I just got all these coloured papers and I just started painting with Poskas on the coloured paper. So I kind of invented the style during the first time I did The Artist Way. And then the second time I did it, I already had that as my, I guess, my base. You go to. Yeah. So it became a way of working because they've all just been a5. They're all tiny, these artworks. So I decided for an exhibition. I was meant to have an exhibition when COVID hit. So it kind of took the wind out of my sails for a moment there. And COVID just fully was a bit of a mess for me. But I was meant to have an exhibition before COVID hit. COVID hit, everything got cancelled. But now I think I'm just going to try and do really big works, like two metre works or something like that, and make those small paintings massive. I guess it was just an easy an easy way to paint without messing up the house I was living in in Canada with flatmates and you know not messing up the floor as well. It was a nice house. What happens if you go a few days without painting? What happens to you? Um, well, this year's been a bit of a tricky year because the painting kind of was taking off and I was selling a lot um, of paintings. And then I also got it asked to, you know, do a wine label and do artwork for a brewery that was specific to that brewery and, and research into it. And, and I started doing those com more commercial things that are for painting. And I, in that process, I realised it was going to become a camera, you know? So then I got really stifled and blocked and I struggled. And it's only in the last month after I've started filming and going back into that commercial world again of filmmaking that I've started to be able to paint again. So the process has, I, I really did become blocked, you know. Well, it's kind of a shit thing to say, but 
you know, I don't think you really become blocked. You basically, you stop letting yourself, um, you stop letting yourself be curious. You stop letting yourself express yourself naturally. In that process, it's actually tormenting a little bit because you're used to doing this thing every day and then suddenly you feel like you can't do that thing at all. Because I, 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 for both those commissions, I just was completely blank. And both those people who I was doing it for were lovely people. And I just basically said to them, I've realised that I, I am struggling to do this and I don't think I can do it, you know? But then a friend of mine who's an artist, um, she said that I just needed to push through that moment, you know? And she's probably right. Did you? No, I didn't push through. I, I pulled out. I freaked out. <laughs> yeah, I guess that it's kind of this process of, of not, um, not letting fear rule you, you know? But I did let fear kind of rule me in that, in that, in that moment, in, in those moments. Um, so are you still painting every day? At the moment, I'm trying to get back into painting every day. But the stress of... Um, of not knowing how I would financially survive um, at the moment has been taking my attention. So I am working out, you know, what I can do and how I can do it and um, trying to make a future and trying to see a future and see what's possible. And painting hasn't, painting and music have unfortunately, um, as a result of that, taken a back seat for a moment but you know I'd like to be able to survive off painting but it, who knows it's kind of like a, I don't want to put pressure on it as well and I don't want it to become like I don't want it to become like work I don't want it to become like a, like what a camera means when I look at it so if I can do it in a way where um, the commercial side of photography made that become like work but if I can just make the work I want to make and sell it in painting, then that's kind of cool. But it also, it still has a lot of pressure put on yourself to be like, this is what I'm going to try and do, you know, and it takes a leap of faith. But um, And it, faith is something that um, <laughs> I've been struggling with lately, you know. So yeah, I think after an event like a stroke, you struggle to imagine your future. I think the, the pressure of, you know, wondering whether you can become a father, have a family, you know, how are you going to survive financially? Um, is there, are those things possible? Like, um, they're, they're, that's the question. Yeah. I mean, it's taking all my energy at the moment just to, just to work out how I'm going to, how I'm going to survive and what, how, what that looks like. And, I, you know, instead of wasting my time thinking about those things, I probably should just paint, you know, that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be more therapeutic. <laughs> Do you see it? I mean, you said that the artist's way is like art therapy, but did you do you see the painting as therapy for you, or do you just see it as self care, looking after your well being? I think a lot of the paintings I've made have come out of examining an anxiety about life and looking at it in a silly, fun way, or looking at it in a dark, weird way. Um, and, you know, uh, I do definitely think art is a really beautiful way to 
process the pressure and the anxiety of life um, and try and break your fears and break your habits of thinking. I think it's a beautiful it's a beautiful way of, of, of doing it and it has often been my therapy, almost sometimes too much where maybe I've shared too much because um, I've, I've used Instagram and maybe sometimes I've overshared moments or personal moments but also, you know, it's brave to do that. It's brave to be vulnerable and put your thoughts out there and sometimes you just got to say, fuck it and do it. When you were showing me your paintings, there was such joy and also like pride and do they bring you joy? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess they do bring me joy. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're funny and they're silly and you just they let me be a kid, you know? So they do. They bring me joy and they 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 Art school makes you analyse the shit out of yourself and um, that actually lessens the joy that you have for things, you know, because that process is kind of making you be analytical. And yeah, and even like part of the paintings are a little bit analytical because that's, it's a part of, it's conceptual. They're a little bit conceptual. Not all of them, but some of them are. Um, and then some of them are just pure silliness, you know, so and they're just fruity crazy coloured fruits or whatever, you know, and um, for me, they bring, yeah, they do, they bring me a lot of joy. After I first had the stroke, I went on a road trip where I couldn't swim, unfortunately, but I went on this road trip and um, I painted as I went. So kind of the landscapes were going by and I'm half looking at the landscapes. I'm travelling down through Tasmania and I'm painting in the in the car because someone else was driving someone obviously. else someone I couldn't drive still so someone else was driving I was like like a kid you know but I was literally a kid like I couldn't drive and I wasn't meant to swim but I actually ended up surfing the whole road trip which was bloody fun but I it was painting um I was painting on my lap in the car and watching the landscapes go by and that kind of non-focus art making I feel like is good because it's like it takes pressure off the artwork, you know, and it just becomes about the world going by around you and the artwork is just happening as you're doing that. Do you find yourself, like people talk about losing themselves in that flow, like what happens to you when you're making the work? Yeah, I think you do definitely lose yourself in the flow when you're making the work. But then sometimes, like, it's just a real, it's a real mixed bag depending upon how centered you are that day and sometimes like I've made artworks so I've just been my head's a complete mess and I'm, I've got complete doubt and the fact I can do it as I'm doing it I'm just like it gets to the end I'm like oh my god I, I actually I actually did it and that was only recently after all all the crap that it, that I'd gone through about trying to commercialize it and all that kind of stuff I got to the end of the and it was like but I really love the artwork. That was the Tiger King one, you know? So it's kind of like, it's probably my favourite one I've done. 
but the whole time I was just in this state of complete self-doubt. <laughs> that, that, yeah, so sometimes it's like that. And then sometimes it's like a fruit. It is like you're just flowing through it and, and they, they come out naturally. And, and sometimes they, oh, my God, I said naturally again. They come out in a flow. <laughs> but do you lose yourself in it? I definitely lose myself in the process of making making these Posca paintings for sure, you know. And and some days, like when I'm having a good good day, I could do like five in a day. And yeah. then when I'm having a bad day, um, when that critic is really loud in my head, I'm getting just one is the aim, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of like that, and it's that contrast, you know, because only I'm only working little, and and some days I do five in a day and I actually post three of them and people are like, oh, I wish I could make as many artworks as that. And I'm just like, I'm only working little. And that's the truth. I'm working little and I had five good ideas that day and they all just came out in one hit, you know? So, um, but the the most important thing is like from doing the artist ways is that you just turn up to do it, you know? And some days you get one, some days you get five. I think on one day, lucky day, I actually did seven and five of them I really like and I still like. It just is a mixed bag. Um, yeah. Mm. Well, what's one tip that you could give somebody and an easy thing that somebody could take away and do, one creative thing? People tend to always paint on white and... A big white piece of paper to me is just so boring and so um, daunting as well. But as soon as there's colour in that, as soon as it's, it has a ground and, and, and you're working on, on something that, that already has kind of like a sense of vibrancy, it's a really lovely thing to do. Because colour and colour, whether it's contrasting or whether it's um, harmonious, looks beautiful. It's a really nice process. So grab some Poscas. Grab some Poscas. And try it. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Thank you. The cat shrug, the limp wrist glam dog, a sexy ballerina break your heart strong. The golden boys living by the beach boys, the jockey brawn that you take on. A big thanks to Josh Heath painter, photographer, director and musician. A special thank you to Josh's band Dream Good for all the extra music in this episode. Dream Good is releasing a new album, so look out for that. In the Making podcast is by Makeshift, a support and education agency connecting creativity and mental health for social change. Discover more about how creative practices are good for your health at makeshift.org.au. Get 10% off our Press Play programs with the code INTHEMAKING. And if you want to learn how to support your friends and family going through a tough time, you can sign up to one of our mental health first aid courses. For more, follow Makeshift on Instagram and Facebook. If this episode has brought up any issues or triggers for you, please contact Beyond Blue on 1300 22 4636. That's 1300 22 4636. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on your favourite podcasting app. Or even better, just tell your friends to listen. The theme song, Bring Down Those Walls, was composed and performed by Alana Stone. Our sound engineer is Chris Hancock. 
Logo and cover art are by Chiara Mucci. You can find links to their work in our show notes. Makeshift was co-founded by Caitlin Marshall and Lizzie Rose. I'm Jennifer Macy. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast was produced on the land of the Wadi Wadi people of the Dharawal Nation. I acknowledge and pay my respects to the original storytellers, singers and artists of this land. Ah!